0: Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now, here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck.
1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. I am super excited about what we're going to be covering today. There's a brand new book out called Environmental Equity. Closing the Opportunity Gap in Urban Schools. And our guest today is the author of that book. And we're going to be talking about how important it is to really think about the environmental pollutants and toxins that children are exposed to in the learning environment and what a difference it can make in their cognitive ability in their health and ultimately in their learning um, if we are paying attention to some of these environmental factors. So without further
2: ado, I'd like to welcome our guest, Wales Wilson. We are so glad to have you on the show, Wales. Thank you so much, Jill. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, you bet. And congratulations on your new book. Um, If anybody wants to pick it up, it couldn't
1: be easier. Just Google Environmental Equity, Closing the Opportunity Gap in Urban Schools. It's available on Amazon. You can get it in digital copy. You can get it in a hardback. You can get it in a paperback. It's like the old-fashioned Burger King. You can have it your way. So I love it. Um, And actually, if you get it in the digital version, it is so jam-packed with amazing resources and links that you can go to to find out more. Um, Wales, I'd like to start by having you help our listeners understand what environmental equity means in a school setting.
2: Yeah, what a perfect place to start. Um, So for me, it really means providing a healthy learning environment for all kids and especially those in areas that are, you know, already disproportionately exposed to pollution. So that's going to be many of our urban schools, which, you know, they may have access to lesser quality school buildings as well. And so it's making sure that all students across our entire country are having access to a high quality learning environment. Um, And so your probably next question would be, you know, what's a high quality learning environment? And so To be clear, you know, that's really making sure that students, all students, have access to clean um, and high quality air, water, and food. Um, And and that they're able to be in a space that's durable, um, clean, free from pollutants. So that means like no mold or bleach, let alone, you know, emissions and asbestos or lead. Um, and, and it's really creating that space that allows students to learn and, and teachers to teach without distraction um, from those potential items around them in their physical space. And so, you know, across our country in any given school district, you know, the quality of our schools differ greatly. And so, when we look at the quality of that school building, our wealthier districts consistently can afford those higher quality buildings for a higher percentage of their kids. And so, Uh, We won't have environmental equity until all kids have access to a high-quality school. Absolutely. And, you know, we hear about sustainability
1: so much that the word has almost lost its meaning. But you write about sustainability in schools in three different aspects. The physical school building, a healthy learning environment, and knowledge and education. Walk us through those three aspects of sustainability in schools.
2: Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And by the end of the book, I really wanted to shy away from even using the word sustainability. It's such a buzzword and can mean almost anything um, this day. So in K-12 schools, really narrowing it down to those three things. First, that physical school building. So this could mean designing or actually building the building or even operating or maintaining it. And it's focused on a durable school that's going to minimize its impact on the environment. Some may see this as like your typical green building design. Uh, For me, it's also that quality of the physical space inside and out. So not only the materials being used in construction and the design and the layout, um, the maintenance, it could be solar panels, efficient HVAC systems, you know, the reduction of waste, a rain garden, an outdoor classroom, storm water management, like all of those pieces are about that physical space. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in K-12 education, especially with this equity lens you know, most buildings, um, most districts are not being able to build a brand new school and right. certainly not every day. And so <laughs> that comes to the second one, right? That that learning environment and the space inside the school where students are learning, the staff are teaching. Um, that's a priority for environmental equity, making that healthy space for all. Um, and so in the industry terms, you know, they're going to call that the indoor um, environmental quality, the air we be- breathe, the water we drink. And, and for a school, we include that food we eat. And so it's not just avoiding the toxins, but also creating a level of wellness for students and staff in the broadest um, sense. And so the third category in a, in a school is the knowledge and education. And so many probably think this comes first, the curriculum, the <laughs> academics, Um, And and in some ways, you know, this is including your environmental science education that's being taught, but it's also offering a well-rounded education that's diverse and interdisciplinary. Um, It means career preparedness for green jobs. It means teaching and learning life skills like critical thinking and problem solving. Um, So this is going to include those 21st century skills. It's going to include educating for sustainability. Um, So You know, in all aspects of sustainability in the academic sense.
1: Absolutely. You know, in your book, you write about the many ways that students benefit from sustainability initiatives. And I'd like to talk about the first benefit that you write about health and productivity through indoor environmental quality. Help our listeners understand what you
2: mean by that. Yeah. So, first, you know, Indoor environmental quality is, is the green schools and sustainability industry term, whereas learning environment is probably more the academic term. Um, so in this context, they're the same thing. It's that space inside a school where kids and adults are learning and working. Um, and, and research has shown that high quality learning environments are lead to increased academic outcomes for kids. And you know, a student is going to be able to focus on learning if those basic needs are met of the, especially that space around them. So in the sustainability sense, you know, the indoor environmental quality is providing clean air and water and clean air, I think is important to break down, um, especially in a school setting, you probably don't think of all of these things, but that would include temperature, uh, moisture, even the, the access to daylight, um, CO2 levels and other pollutants, you know, mold and even sound um, all impact, you know, that classroom setting and then access to clean drinking water at school is important. And um, these are basic needs, but they're not always a given in all of our schools. So just imagine for a second, you know, if you're trying to teach some very new and difficult concepts in a classroom of kids, but yet they're shivering in coats because the heat isn't working that day or opposite They're probably on fire and thirsty because the radiator is stuck in overdrive (laughs) Um, or maybe not enough fresh air and they're starting to doze off. I mean, I think that indoor environmental quality starts to impact kids in ways that we don't necessarily think about, but they spend the bulk of their time in schools. Absolutely.
1: And it's, it's amazing. You know, I've been in classrooms where the CO2 levels were high and if it's not being monitored, nobody knows um and and this can be in any school setting but i was in a third grade classroom once um where it was after lunch the kids had been running around and playing at recess after they ate and they were all drowsy and the teacher was doing her best to get them to you know maybe change their seating arrangements or do something to to you know, make them more alert. And when we turned on the monitor, the air quality monitor, the CO2 levels were exceptionally high. And you could have the best teacher, the most exciting instructional material in the world, and that is not going to overcome the impact of CO2 levels. But if school districts aren't monitoring that, they don't even know that that's adversely impacting the learning environment. You know, Wales, you also write about how sustainability initiatives in schools can promote students' wellness. And I want you to talk to us a little
2: more about that. Yeah. I mean, Jill, what you had just shared, like we Teachers aren't taught. School administrators aren't taught that um, these indoor environmental quality issues are related to brain function and cognitive development. I mean, those are things that we just don't even think about, or, or certainly aren't taught and aren't talking about when we're thinking about school administration. Um, but certainly, kids are going to be healthier humans and personally well, um, and certainly more well if the physical environment around them is high quality. Um, beyond that, wellness can also mean that we are thinking thoughtfully and planning for encouraging physical activity, exposure Mm -hmm. to natural space or outdoors. You know, we've talked about healthy foods, but also creating environments that are allowing them to reduce stress. Mm -hmm. It's not something a lot of us think about, but these things benefit kids learning like bright light. Helps kids concentrate. You know, unstructured play outside is stretching their brains and developing skills like confidence and creative thinking and cooperation. Um, even helps eyesight. So there's a lot of different ways that wellness can come from a healthier school that leads to healthier students. Um, but we have to plan for those. You know, for example, um, asthma and obes- obesity are two big issues facing our children today. And if we're able to provide, you know, higher quality air and food and teaching them about why it's important and how they can replicate this outside of school, we're gonna change their life trajectory as healthier people, not just for their generation, but for generations to come. So I don't wanna necessarily oversimplify it, but there are a lot of things schools must consider in their day-to-day, but there is a significant opportunity for the health and well-being of our students if we're prioritizing these types of sustainability initiatives. Well and and I
1: love what you just said Wales because a lot of times when schools are attempting to address these issues it's very siloed. So all of a sudden maybe we're going to we're going to think about our food quality and that's very much a child nutrition services concern. Or if we're going to deal with environmental um you know quality in terms of air and lighting and you know, decibel levels. Well, that's all facilities and the facilities folks are going to hone in on that. And then, you know, we talk about water quality and things like that. Well, you know, there, there'll be folks who are focused on whether or not that's tap water or some other water product to, to get that for students. But what's missing is this overarching and, and um kind of unifying theme of sustainability that those are all functions of a healthy sustainable school and you know it, it needs to be coordinated it needs to be planned and instead of kind of playing whack-a-mole with each of these various issues that if we think about what's best for kids right up front and we start planning for these things in a holistic manner just like your book discusses we're probably going to end up with much better results, particularly when we're thinking about putting the students at the vortex of these decisions, um, just like we would with any other educational matter. So I love I love the way that you frame this in the book and the way you walk us through this mindset change. That really could create better results for students. We're gonna take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with the author of a new book I want you all to check out Environmental Equity Closing the Opportunity Gap in Urban Schools. We'll be right back.
0: News. News world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Wales Wilson, and she is the author of a brand new book readily available on Amazon called Environmental Equity, Closing the Opportunity Gap for Urban Schools in Urban Schools. And we've been talking about what environmental equity and sustainability really means in schools. And it's not just building a nice green building. Um, you know, th- there are things that schools in any condition of any age can be doing right now, today. These are um, some very pragmatic uh, concepts that Wales has put together to help us rethink the existing buildings in which our students are learning. And one of the benefits that you outline for students in your book, Wales, is lifelong learning and opportunities for students. And I'd love for you to help us understand how sustainability in schools can impact students' lifelong learning.
2: Yeah, so it's all interconnected. and, And we've seen through research that in greener schools, students are increasing their personal growth, their skills, productivity, and academic achievement. So we're seeing test scores rise. We're seeing students and staff are having fewer sick days, which means more learning time. And if students are healthier and have a more positive uh, personal well-being, it's going to lead to their social and emotional development, too. Um, that leads to intellectual and character development. And all of that is important learning and readiness for, for careers beyond. Um, one thing we're seeing in our country is that we tend to have higher academic outcomes um, for, for students Leading to higher lifelong achievement and earnings, and I don't just mean college readiness, but career preparedness as well. Um, so, sustainable uh, sustainability education, yes, um, includes preparing students for green jobs, but it's also teaching these 21st century skills: problem solving, critical thinking. That you know, we're solving the concern that the next generation will you know take strong minds and new solutions. Um, so right now, I think by exposing and preparing students for green careers, especially in those environmental justice communities and foods desert communities that we've been talking about, we're ensuring that they're prepared for the future. And then all communities are going to have the most prepared workforce for the future. So there's a broader um, impact there to the community, as well as just life learning, learning opportunities for the kids themselves. One thing I do want to bring up in particular is that in career and technical education, what we call CTE. Mm-hmm. They were some of the first K-12 courses to go green. And, you know, as a nation, we're struggling to have enough workers in construction trades, for example. Mm-hmm. And with this added focus on green buildings, we need a workforce with even more specialized skills. So when you think about um, sustainability in K-12 schools and healthier kids, it also is pushing them to be part of this lifelong Green community that they'll Mm -hmm. be able to contribute to by even being part of the the future workforce that then supports their local community. I love that.
1: And, And, you know, I think one of the benefits too, when we think about lifelong opportunities, the way students see themselves is so important. And they start making assumptions about their capacity very young, you know. And if they're in a classroom where the co2 levels are high and they're drowsy or there's a lot of ambient noise and they're distracted or the lighting isn't good and it causes them difficulty in reading or what have you kids can start to make assumptions about who they are as a learner well i'm just not good at paying attention or you know i just i can't stay awake school's not for me and you know these are these are not necessarily grounded in reality if the, the learning environment is more um, thoughtful um, and, and removes those kinds of distractions. Kids ha- also have the opportunity to see themselves differently as a learner when their learning environment is optimized. And I think that your book does a great job of talking about how we can do that. You know, Again, regardless of the age of the building, there are things that existing buildings everywhere can be doing to address these issues to help students see themselves in the the brightest light as a learner. I want to ask you, Wales, what are some of the misconceptions that you've seen that school districts may have about investing in sustainability initiatives?
2: Sure. I think you know, sustainability is perceived as being for the rich suburban districts and that it's not a priority for everyone because we don't have time or it's too expensive to do, or, you know, it's a whole separate thing from what we're already doing and we have too much um, to focus on. And, most educators probably think sustainability in schools means a fancy science curriculum um, with with a school garden that grows lettuces hydroponically, Um, or maybe (laughs) it's a school covered in, you know, solar panels and motion sensor lights. But yes, that's true. However, sustainability in schools could also be, you know, using LED light bulbs so that the electricity bill is cheaper. Therefore, I can buy more calculators (laughs) or, you know, investing in a new HVAC system that Will provide higher quality air, ultimately reducing energy costs, so that I can pay for more social workers, um, or it could be providing cooking classes or providing healthy snacks instead of pizza parties. And so I think that that's the change, the mindset that we need to shift is that, you know, it doesn't take a lot of money or staff to get started. It's about everyone thinking about what we're doing now that could be more efficient or, quote unquote, healthier. Um, It's likely saving money to spend on those other academic priorities, spending less on energy to increase classroom resources. Um, So it's not about changing what we're doing, but how we're doing it. I think you mentioned earlier that more um, planned and strategic and coordinated approach, using opportunities to make schools a healthier place for our students and our staff, which will have those lifelong benefits. And it doesn't take dedicated sustainability staff to do it. You know, each district leadership team has a lens that they can use within their existing, you know, locus of control.
1: Absolutely. You know, and and we've talked about some of the the benefits to students and some of the benefits to schools um, if they embrace the concepts in your book. But, you know, a lot of our urban community, you know, especially public schools are competing. Um, They're competing for students. Um, There's a lot of opportunities and options for students and their families. How could maybe some of our urban public schools benefit? and What are some of the things that they could realize by embracing the concepts that you outline in environmental equity?
2: Yeah, school choice is a real struggle Um, that actually has a theme in the book as well. And so I think you're right on. We do see families choosing new buildings. Um, and thinking about the health of their child um, in that new environment. And so not every school, uh, as I mentioned, can buy a brand new building and build a brand new building today. So there are things that they can do to improve, you know, the healthier learning environment today. Um, And and first they need to acknowledge that that is necessary and why. Um, And so by embracing, you know, a healthier learning environment for students, they're going to see not only the kids, perform better that we've talked about today. Like they're going to have increased learning opportunities because they're not distracted by the physical items around them, but also the schools are going to ultimately perform better. They will have higher test scores, higher graduation rates and attendance rates, even fewer behavior challenges. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and one of the biggest things improve staff retention and less staff uh, stress, which is huge right now because we're having a staffing crisis in schools And we're not able to retain the highest quality teachers, which are the Mm -hmm. number one factor in student learning. And so if we're able to change the quality of our learning environment for kids, we're also doing it for staff. Um, And then those health benefits, I mean, financial benefits for districts are huge. Um, You know, they're able to achieve some of the efficiencies and building operations to help pay for other things that we've talked about, but you're also reducing maintenance costs because you're avoiding emergencies mm-hmm. and you're beyond emotional, uh, operational efficiencies because you can, you know, you can talk about things like you won't have to pay for as many substitutes. If you have a healthier um, staff or lower insurance costs, like those things add up because staff are your number one cost in your school district. Mm-hmm. Um, and so beyond that, you know, the, the local community always benefits from embracing some of these types of things too, because you have a higher quality school, um, you know, you may have improved aesthetics just from an in, improved <laughs> outdoor space, but you're also going to have that stronger community. We've talked about with a higher quality, um, work, uh, force, but also a stronger school system leads to, you know, property, stronger property value. So there's absolutely benefits across the board.
1: You know, and and let's talk about, we've talked about benefits, and one of the things I really appreciate about your book is how transparent it is about the barriers. What are some of the barriers that school districts may need to overcome in order to adopt sustainable operations?
2: Yes, I, I'm very transparent about the barriers because I experienced them myself having been in a school administrator in a public school, and, you know, you first have to stop and understand the benefits to, to prioritizing this work that, you know, it, the students are essential and, and worth prioritizing. And that with a few small changes, we can make a difference for healthier kids and staff. And like that concept um, is so important to just start to understand the, mm-hmm. the environmental control, you know, impact on that. And so once you once you understand that um, second, I would say that, you know, sustainability doesn't have to be expensive or capacity draining, which I assumed, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just tweaking what you're already doing. Like time and money don't have to be a barrier, but almost an incentive um, because there's a lot of funding available for schools to de- to do this type of work and to really prioritize, um, you know, some of the efficiencies that we've been talking about that produce cost savings. Um, and, and so the barriers are actually become a benefit um, in sustainability and, and with a priority on what's important when it comes to school operations, you know, how are we tweaking the things we're already doing? How are we providing the things we're doing a little bit better? For example, we're already cleaning schools. Well, let's switch from bleach to hydrogen peroxide and we're going to actually see less pollution for kids by doing little subtle things like that.
1: Absolutely. Well, and and that's, what I love about you know this this first part of your book is that you you tie a lot of the things that schools may desire to do to the opportunity for operational savings, um, and I've seen that over and over again where school districts have been able to afford things they never thought they would when they're able to shave. Million dollars a month off their energy bill um, and things like that, and so I really love the way you couple um, the potential barriers with even bigger opportunities. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more with Wales Wilson. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could all tune in. Very excited about the book that we're discussing, Environmental Equity, Closing the Opportunity Gap in Urban Schools. And we have the author, Wales Wilson, with us. And um, I'm, I'm really loving this conversation because I think this is opening up some new doors for healthy, sustainable schools um, where maybe it just hasn't been prioritized or considered before because there was a misunderstanding about what it takes to create a sustainable, healthy school. And Wales, your book does such a great job of outlining some of the critical steps that school districts should take if they're just getting started with sustainability initiatives. Talk us through the steps involved in strategically planning for sustainability.
2: Yeah, so first, before you even start the true strategic plan, which is going to be similar to any other strategic planning process the district goes through, you're going to want to prioritize building a district green team. And that means pulling together, you know, key stakeholders from a variety of different areas so that you really have great ideas together at the table and getting at one of the barriers we talked about earlier You're spreading out the capacity. You're having multiple people involved so that different people can lead different parts of the projects. You're having investment from day one. You have volunteers to be able to get things done. And so having that leadership um, and investment from a variety of areas across your district is going to be really important to get started and to get the work done. So... Part of the strategic planning process is going to be starting with a needs assessment, because one thing I will say is that every district has different reasons why they should start sustainability and and what they want to achieve first and foremost. Um, So that needs assessment could include a basic SWOT analysis of what are we doing well, where are our opportunities, um, and, and everything in between. And, and part of that is really to identify the challenges that are some, the most important and could potentially have the biggest impact first, whether that's for kids, the bottom line, or anything in between for the district. Like, what are the priorities? And then being a goals-based, driven um, industry, setting goals against those priorities. What do you want to be able to achieve so that then you can come up with an action plan and an implementation plan for each of those goals. Um, in education, we backwards plan, like where do you want the kids to get? So we're going to do the same with our sustainability goals, um, planning what you need to do, who's going to do it, and when you're going to do a buy so that you're actually achieving these things in a more bite-sized way. And then that last big step of the process is going to be, you know, data tracking, progress monitoring, which is, common in education. And so you're going to see, you know, which inputs or actions have happened and logging energy data and programs like um, Energy Star Portfolio Manager and water testing, being able to keep track of those things. Um, And the way that you track your data and progress is all going to depend on your priorities and, and which strategies that you have prioritized. You
1: know, Wales, we've heard it many, many times. If we've heard it once, we've heard it a thousand times. You can't manage what you don't measure. Talk to us about some of the ways that school districts can measure and document their progress on their sustainability goals.
2: Right. And you're less likely to achieve if you haven't set those goals with a specific measure in mind of what success looks like. And so, you know, I'll be honest, I wish there was a great way to measure how much student performance and their health will change as a result of sustainability. And I'm just going to start by saying that is going to be very hard to isolate in a school level, because especially in a high need school, you're doing 15 things at once because you don't have a second to lose for kids. And so it is, is one of the factors that might lead to outcomes, but it's going to be hard to isolate. So I just, I say that to say those are important, but there are lots of ways to measure success in looking at other outcomes as well. For example, reduced absenteeism for sick days specifically, um, how many asthma attacks are reported to the nurse, um, staff sick days, and or um, the percent of days when temperatures are outside the acceptable range, or CO2 levels, as you brought up earlier, um, even things like the reduction of resources used, like waste to the landfill, um, Another good outcome could be money saved on utilities. Um, And and one other thing we haven't talked about today is that change in like climate and culture surveys for staff, families, and students. So outcomes are a big measure of success, but so are looking at the indicators of success, looking at some of those inputs that are monitoring that change, like the number of staff trained, the number of waste or compost stations set up, um, number of energy savings strategies tried, or number of light bulbs changed, Um, or even the number of products we've switched to green cleaning. So those are a lot of the things that we should be measuring or could be measuring depending on our priorities. And one thing I mentioned earlier is the Energy Star Portfolio Manager. It's an awesome free tool for districts to use to track um, utilities like energy and water and and waste as well. And there are tools like there that can help track school data. You can obviously create your own tracker um, or better yet, there are so many certification programs for schools that help you track these inputs and outcomes. And in many cases you can get points, you know, towards your own sustainability metrics. And, and I know schools are big on, on celebrating those kinds of things. Um, Mm -hmm. Sustainability Jersey for schools is a big one that I've worked with in, in New Jersey and can be a great guide to measuring or documenting what matters. And the better, the best thing is that it leads to financial incentives for having met certain criteria.
1: Mm -hmm. I love sustainable Jersey for schools. I would love to see a sustainable fill in the state name for schools in every state. I I think it is such a phenomenal framework um, and it really does help school districts get the right people together and document things in such a way that a project becomes a program. It becomes a a way of life in schools rather than you know, a, a specific project that happens in a specific time frame, and then it's over. I love that program. One of the things that I really love most about your book is that it isn't just theoretical. Um, you've worked in large urban districts where you've seen sustainability, sustainability initiatives work firsthand. Um, and in fact, you served as a senior district administrator in the Camden City School District in New Jersey. And I'd love for you to talk to us about what sustainability looked like in that district. Um, what were some of the initial barriers that had to be
2: overcome and, 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 tell us what it looked like in Camden. Yeah. So, you know, having overseen operations and budgets in schools, it's given me a lot of insight on the realities and constraints and the, and the benefits of improvements um, for both students and, and really the bottom line. Um, so, I got really involved in sustainability in Camden, as the district was going to be fined for not recycling. Um, which you know, there's a lot of focus on on waste reduction is one of the first strategies. So we do talk a lot about that in the book of things that you can do to focus on waste, just because it's a very tangible uh, place for schools to start, where you can save money and and get kids involved as well. So for us, what we did was you know, we really weren't recycling at all. And it, you know, it was um, something that we had to fix. We were gonna face a financial fine that was not sustainable for us financially. And so we looked at how we could get and invest all of our stakeholders, food services, custodians, facility staff, um, district and school leaders, teachers, students. We had to get them all invested and trained and on not only how to recycle, but why. Um, and so, as a result, we did it very quickly. We were able to avoid significant fines. We also saved money on waste disposal fees. Um, and some of my other favorite benefits were that you know life was easier for custodial staff because things were now sorted and cleaner. Um, we had kids sorting the the styrofoam trays, and it was easier. They had less had less trash to um, to, to maintain. We also had some teacher mini grants because finding money for teachers is always a challenge for them to be able to do some exciting projects in their own classroom. And it led to bigger projects too. It was sort of this catalyst. Um, That's when we started sustainable Jersey Jersey for schools. It's a Um, mouthful. (laughs) it It really is. And so it started, you know, our ability to get certified within led to a lot of great celebration of kids, staff, and the school, um, and it led to grants, which Mm -hmm. honestly was one of the greatest things for the district because we were then able to take that grant money, invest in capacity building projects. We were able to hire someone to help us with our ESIP, our Energy Savings Improvement Plan, which then led to other projects. Um, It really was a catalyst to change. Um, Green cleaning projects started. We were able to look at some water and energy as a result um, of some of those those projects that started just from um, thinking about recycling.
1: I love it. And that section of the book is one of my favorites to read. It's such a, a comprehensive look at how there's kind of a sustainability snowball effect. You know, you begin, you win, and you want to win some more. And it it's a great example. I love the Camden City School District example. And you also wrote about sustainability initiatives in the school district of Philadelphia and Baltimore City Schools. Talk to us about their unique
2: challenges and their approach to sustainability. Yeah, so when I was most active with their those school districts when I worked there, you know, sustainability sustainability. Wow, I'm struggling today. <laughs> we're, we're really just sprouting. And they there weren't that many obvious connections to my day-to-day work. And so through my research, I started to realize there's a lot to learn from Baltimore, Philadelphia, and Camden that other districts can really use to get started. And so the big lesson there is that it's not too late to get started. I mean, those three districts haven't really gotten going into the last five, if I stretch it, 10 years. So the time is not too late. Um, so people should not feel like they've missed the bus. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I stopped and looked I saw that these three districts really had a, almost a formula for getting started. That was a combination of passion and drive. Um, it was within school operations or facilities, not academics. Mm -hmm. And it typically revolves some way around finances, Mm -hmm. um, And so those three things really what was the catalyst, but there were some similar keys to success, have you, that existed across all of them that I think are worth um, pointing out for others um, to think about as they're getting started. And so one, it started with changing mindsets of adults. Why any sustainability effort mattered was step one, because they lead the path for not only students to follow, but then also for policy and procedural changes. Two, there was an element of local government being supportive, and that could mean financially or providing some expertise or maybe the pressure to get started, like was the case in in Camden. And then third, keeps coming back to this, but there was a financial angle. Um, It was a catalyst for getting started and maintaining progress in some cases. So either it was an you know that ESIP program that generated funds to pay for already desired projects Uh, maybe it was a grant local donations um, some companies that were invested or the threat of fines Um, all of those had sparked initiatives in those districts Um, and in some cases it was really that need for money they were financially burned as a district as a whole that saw that sustainability was an opportunity to solve that problem um, because they could generate funds or savings to put the money somewhere else that they needed Mm -hmm. to finance. Um, So, And and some of that was so important because all three faced aging infrastructure, uh, maintenance issues, funding challenges in general, and declining enrollment that we kind of talked about before, plus consistent staffing needs. So I know that there are districts struggling with similar issues that can benefit from a sustainability approach because these these strategies can support improvements to infrastructure and maintenance while improving the bottom line.
1: I love it. It doesn't get more straightforward than that. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have more with Wales Wilson. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you're all with us. We're talking with Wales Wilson, the author of a brand new book called Environmental Equity Overcoming Closing the Opportunity Gap in Urban Schools. And we're talking about how very simple it is to at least begin thinking about um, sustainability in a new way, particularly in urban schools that may be um, more. Uh, impacted by environmental pollutants and toxins that exist in their community, some of the steps that they can take that are low or no cost, Um, some of the opportunities to save money on operational expenses that would allow them to invest in their schools and a healthy learning environment for their students. Um, Wales, I want to get right down to brass tacks. If we have folks listening today who want to know where do they start, what does it take for a school district to implement the strategies outlined in your book?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, once they understand the benefits, I think that's first and foremost, and and getting that green team to take lead within that strategic planning process, I would stop and think about not what sustainability initiatives we need most, but what does the district as a whole need most? And then figure out are there ways that sustainability can actually help us meet those priorities? You know, for example, when I worked in Camden, you know, we had schools that were under enrolled and failing from an infrastructure standpoint. So like we thought about sustainability in a way that could help us meet those goals and overcome those challenges. So after they've identified what to tackle first and who's leading the work and how we're getting it done, um, there are tons of existing resources that are available for districts, including through the book um, and, and also through gogreeninitiative.org um, that will help get districts started. So for example, we focus a lot on, in the book about solid waste reduction. And I'm not saying it's the most important, it's just generally where schools want to start. So we spent some time breaking down how to divert food waste in a school setting. Um, and there's you know five different strategies there that schools can use. We talk about recycling, obviously, and reducing consumption. Um, And that's just a small starting point. Like we've talked a lot today about why healthy learning environments are the place to start. And so I'm building more resources um, with the team at the Go Green initiative to really think about how schools can tackle things like improving air quality and water quality. And I will say right now, one of the biggest opportunities that we have as a country is that the federal um, pandemic funding, um, especially through the American Rescue Plan and um, what schools call ESSER funds, um, there's an opportunity within that grant to use those funds for indoor environmental quality initiatives, including HVAC systems and and to avoid indoor environmental hazards. And so this is a huge opportunity for for districts to be able to get started for even some of those bigger projects that I've never seen included in federal grant funding before. That is so exciting. And, and that's going to be so um,
1: relevant to our school leaders right now today, because I know that a lot of them are looking at their ESSER funds and, um, and realizing some of the opportunities there. Wales, if you only had two minutes to talk to every superintendent and school board member in the U.S. in the K-12 through space, and you were going to convince them to pursue environmental equity as you've outlined it in your book, what would you say?
2: Of course, I mean, all students deserve a healthy learning environment, and they're not going to be able to achieve their highest potential if their basic needs aren't met. And that includes things like access to clean air, healthy food, clean water, and a warm and safe environment. Um, These benefits to our kids include their health and well-being, and we're able to provide that through a school that is high quality. I truly believe that operational excellence equals academic achievement because kids can learn more if they're not distracted by hunger, uh, cold, thirst, um, inadequate lighting. And, and teachers are going to teach better when they're not trying to think about how to overcome those challenges. So if we can eliminate them, we're an improved school environment. We're going to see direct impact on learning outcomes. Um, we'll to see healthier, less stressed, more positive uh, students and staff. And ultimately, there's an impact on the district's finance. bottom line finances. Um, and so if we're prioritizing clean air and water and food for our kids, you know, while reducing waste in schools, we're going to be able to invest in our students present, but also their future, um, you know, student children and students in particular of, of K-12 schools need to have access to these environments and have the most to gain in our environmental justice and food desert communities. Um, And so with some small steps, I know we can improve student learning, create healthier places to learn, work, and play, and and gain those financial efficiencies. It's truly a win for all. I love that so much, Wales. I I think it's one of the most beautiful
1: and achievable goals, um, for our K through 12 schools in America. I I just love that. You know, we can't forget that some of the most powerful advocates in school districts are parents. Um, we see it on all kinds of issues, but why should parents advocate for environmental equity for their kids?
2: Yeah. I mean, kids spend a lot of their developmental years in school. um, you know, and and for the first time, I kind of alluded to it before, but like COVID prioritized a conversation for the first time about air ventilation and air quality in schools. You know, Flint, Michigan sparked a conversation about water quality access and, and investment in that infrastructure. At the end of the day, we know that parents want what is best for their children. They would not knowingly expose their children to poor air and water quality at home. Um, and so the same is true in the school. And so they should be advocating for this same quality in schools that every child should have access to. Um, we can make changes to so that students aren't exposed to poor environments. And now really is a time. You know, schools can leverage that funding that we talked about. They can reduce environmental health hazards, support student health needs. Um, and districts are prioritizing these things like Hvac systems and outdoor learning spaces and cleaning programs and water filling stations and window replacements through those funds and if parents are advocating for that they the districts will know that's a priority and it's a big important element of federal funding is to make sure all stakeholders are invested in where you're spending your your money and, and that parent voice matters and that Districts listen when parents advocate for
1: student health and well-being. I believe that's true. I really do. I've seen that happen myself. And what's more, I think sometimes parents are reticent to advocate for things that they don't fully understand or feel empowered to speak to. And that's part of the value. One of the big pieces of value in your new book, Wales, is that you really have a platform uh, that is... I mean, this book is so accessible. It's so easy to read. There are references, especially if if folks pick up the digital copy, um, where you really can educate yourself and you can really uh, become an empowered advocate for your school district, for your children. Um, and, And I love the book. As a reminder to everybody, you can check it out on Amazon. It's called Environmental Equity, Closing the Opportunity Gap in Urban Schools. We just have a a minute left, Wales, and and in the final moments that we have left in the show, what parting thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners?
2: Yeah, so in many of our districts, you know, we can't wait for a miracle new school to be built for most of our communities to have access to a high-quality school building. But we can make real change for kids if we begin to make tweaks for a healthier school environment. You know, sustainability in schools so far has been focused on those green buildings, has been focused on curriculum and what teachers need to accomplish with their kids. But that's not what we need. You know, we need to focus on clean air, clean water and healthy food so we can maximize and optimize student learning. And our districts can work towards improving those learning environments because our students deserve it and the urgency of every minute counts. Um, And I believe that we can achieve all of our priorities at the same time, increasing learning and um, helping the financial state of the district.
1: Well said. Thank you, Wales. Thank you so much for writing this book. Thank you for joining us today on Go Green Radio. And thank you to all of our listeners for being with us. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. And until then... Have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.